0: Okay, Um, last, uh, Connie Callum. Connie, uh, uh, we claim credit, trained at UCSF, uh, moved north to Seattle, um, has been really, for her entire career, been interested in transmission of viruses, has done a ton of work with herpes viruses, uh, but also HIV, and uh, is gonna kind of lead us through some of PEP and some of STIs, so and cleanup.
1: Well, before I begin, I just want to acknowledge that Paul had a big hand in my career. When I was a third-year med student, seeing my first patient with CAPACES, he brought a, I believe, hand-typed manuscript. There there were typewriters in those days. Um, But I also just want to thank the organizers for inviting me, and it means a lot to be in a course that's named for Scott Hammer, who is also a mentor, friend, and role model and is greatly missed. So today, I'm really going to focus on one aspect of management of STIs, which is prevention, and the new data that uh, we and others have um, contributed in terms of understanding doxy pep Here's my, uh, my disclosures, our learning objectives, really which are, as I mentioned, focusing on data, much of which was presented at CROI, and uh, many questions still to be answered. And some exciting data, um, not just about DoxyPep, but about Bexero for GC prevention. So I think you'd have to be kind of asleep for the last five, six years to not know that we're still, in spite of COVID and all the social distancing, seeing an ongoing epidemic of bacterial STIs. And these are the numbers from 2020, and I think one thing that started to really get people's attention is that for the first time in really a decade or more that we're seeing congenital syphilis, which is really uh, quite disturbing and and has a lot of morbidity. So why is that? You know, we've been um, basically using the same tools for STI prevention for many years, which is talk to our clients, some of us. You know, I'm skeptical that we, as a provider group, do a great job at that. I think that our language still is often, um, doesn't make people comfortable to disclose what they are doing or to ask questions. We do a lot of testing, and we do a lot of treatment, and that clearly is not getting us out of this epidemic. The reason why the studies that I'm presenting to you are focusing on men who have sex with men and transgender women is because the... They bear the greatest burden of gonorrhea, chlamydia, and syphilis, as these data from CDC show. Why doxycycline? Well, uh, there was some data that was presented almost now five years ago um, from a French group that suggested that doxycycline might um, be effective as post-exposure prophylaxis for STIs. And all the studies that I'm going to present were done to see does it, truly decrease the uh, three most common bacterial STIs, gonorrhea, chlamydia, and syphilis? And what is the impact on antibiotic resistance? And the reason why doxy was chosen as opposed to any other antibiotic is due to its safety, tolerability, uh, low expense, but really importantly is also biologic plausibility that it is, has high uh, efficacy against both chlamydia and syphilis, with no um, cases of resistance ever reported in spite of widespread use. And that we know that gonorrhea already, about 20 to 25% in the US, 60% in Europe, close to 100% in parts of Africa, uh, gonorrhea has resistance to tetracycline, which is why we don't use it for treatment. So we're not gonna, quote, ruin uh, treatment of gonorrhea by using uh, doxycycline for prevention. The first study that I mentioned was the Epirgay study, which was a nested sub-study within the uh, event-driven PrEP trial, the uh, HIV PrEP trial that was done in France. It was smallish, it had 232 men who had sex with men, all of whom were on uh, event-driven HIV PrEP. And they offered, uh, or, sorry, they randomized uh, to to Doxy-Pep or no-PEP. And the way that uh, participants were instructed was to take it ideally within 24 hours, no, no longer than 72 hours after condomless sex, and to not take more than three doses per week. And in that study, the average was really that they took about three and a half, uh, an average of three and a half doses per month. They saw a, a 70% reduction in chlamydia, 63% reduction in syphilis, and no... Uh, efficacy against gonorrhea in the context of high levels of tetracycline resistance. So people were interested, but by and large, this was not adopted because it was a single study. So my colleague, Dr. Annie Lukmeier and myself and a great team of people in San Francisco and and Seattle undertook what we called, not so creatively, the DOXYPEP study. And it was um, very similar to the one I just told you, except we did not put a cap on how much uh, doxy could be taken. We told people not to take it more than daily. And we enrolled uh, participants who were male sex at birth who were either on HIV, uh, living with HIV, or taking PrEP. We wanted to get more data on, for persons living with HIV for another status neutral prevention approach, hopefully who had at least one STI in the past year and had uh, reported condomless sex with at least one male partner in the last 12 months. And then the trial, it was an open label trial similar to ePregay. We did a two to one randomization because we wanted more data in the doxypep arm, more tolerability, effectiveness data. And then STI testing was done every three months. And this was done at two HIV clinics in Seattle and San Francisco and two Sexual health clinics, and to get to the punchline, and hopefully you've heard some of these data. They were first presented by my colleague, uh, and Dr. Luttmeyer at AIDS 2022. That shown on the left is the prep cohort. We designed the study to be powered to look uh, to have enough statistical power to look separately at those on prep versus those living with HIV. The Blue is gonorrhea, the orange is chlamydia, syphilis is green, and then black is those who had uh, two or more STIs. We designed this study expecting that we would see 10% uh, incidence of STIs in the control arm, whereas we saw 30%. So this was a very sexually active population at high risk of uh, getting STIs. and the. Difference in the DOXYPEP arm uh, on the left and the NOPEP arm on the right is very almost identical between the two cohorts, translated to about a two-thirds reduction in, uh, in both cohorts. And it was highly st- statistically significant. And w- about uh, 10 months ago in May, our DSMB stopped us from further enrollments and told us that we had met our pre-specified efficacy threshold and that we should offer doxypep to the control arm. I happened to be in New York on that day and I was like, you've got to be kidding because we didn't think people would take it well enough to have this kind of an effect. On this slide, um, this shows the same, uh, basically the same data, but now broken down by pathogen and anatomic site. And the story here is just that again, very similar results regardless of HIV status. Um, We had very little urethral infection for gonorrhea and chlamydia. Most was so-called extragenital, and not very uh, high numbers of syphilis. The median duration of follow-up at the time that the DSMB reviewed these data was nine months. Uh, And, again, we had expected to be continuing for another year and a half. And one question that's come up is, did it just prevent asymptomatic STIs, or did it also prevent symptomatic STIs? And the answer is it was significant significantly effective for both. I think it's important for people to know the context of these studies and the populations that were enrolled. The median number of sex partners was nine at enrollment um, and they reported an average of uh, five sex acts per month. 90% of uh, sex was condomless at enrollments. So this is not a situation where people started with high condom use and then decreased in the trial we looked in lots of different ways. We found no significant uh, change in sexual behavior during follow up, um, either compared to baseline in the DoxyPep arm or be compared to the no Pep arm. Um, so there was no evidence of so called risk compensation. Adherence is hard to measure in an event driven trial with a short acting uh, drug like Doxy. But So we ended up having to use self-report. We still have hair samples in Monica Gandhi's lab that we look forward to getting data on. But our primary measure is self-reported adherence at a quarterly interview, and 86% reported always or often using doxypep after anal or vaginal sex. Similar rates actually with oral sex. Um, The median number of doses per month was four. And uh, however, given the interquartile range, you can see that a quarter reported uh, 10 or more doses per month. There's a trade-off. Uh, because we prevented about 50% of gonorrhea, we also saw 50% less ceftriaxone use. So yes, you're using more doxy, but you're preventing more cephalosporin use. The big question that's been batted around a lot since we uh, reported these data is, well, what, what's the harm part of the equation? particularly with respect to antimicrobial resistance. And I'll show you a little bit of these data. Uh, Some of this is still underway, but uh, we're looking at GC, chlamydia, syphilis, mycoplasma, genitalium, and then we're looking at so-called bystander bacteria, some of which have uh, potential pathogenic potential like staph aureus, others not so much pathogenic potential, but could be carriers of resistance like commensal myceria in the throat, and then the gut microbiome. And this was presented a couple weeks ago by uh, our group at uh, at CROI. And uh, basically we had c- culture positive uh, gonorrhea to look at in about, um, about uh, I think it was about 40% of the GC uh, cases either at baseline or enrollment. And part of that is that we uh, it's You get less uh, culture positivity it, when you culture gonorrhea from the throat or rectum. Uh, it's much lower, um, something I don't think I knew in medical school uh, or as an ID fellow. So that draw, drops it down. And then also people who came to the study from Kaiser were often treated before they came in, and you have to do these cultures before treatment. So with all those caveats, the data that we do have suggests there was a... Uh, non-statistically trend to more doxy resistance in the uh, GC endpoints in the doxy PEP arm, but this is not statistically significant and requires more data. We also reported at CROI that we saw a decrease, um, almost 30% in staph aureus colonization. It was about 40% at baseline and went down about 30% in the doxy PEP arm, and a slight, but again, um, barely uh, at the threshold of significance yeah. among those who, re- who were colonized with Staph at month 12. There was a slight increase in doxy resistance. We looked at commensal Neisseria. First of all, m- most people had it. Most of it was already uh, resistant uh, to tetracyclines, and it did not change during follow-up. I want to include this slide. This has not been presented or published, but I think it's really important to hear the voices of the participants because I've heard a lot of voices from my colleagues who are also infectious disease specialists about concerns about antimicrobial resistance. But I think it's important, and we sort of learned this the hard way with HIV PrEP is we focused so much on resistance. I can remember the early days like from the Partners PrEP study, everyone was talking about resistance people did not understand the meaning of a prevention intervention people's lives. We uh, did a purposive sampling of about 40, 44 participants, all from the doxypep arm from the uh, four sites. We oversampled racial and ethnic minorities. And the f- themes, the overarching themes that have come out from this is that first of all, people uh, in the who were taking, the men who were taking the doxypep said that it gave them more sexual pleasure. It also gave them peace of mind. They didn't think it changed their sexual behavior, but just their mindset about it. And they felt empowered by it. And I, I think that's you know a word as clinicians we don't use a lot, but I think when you're thinking about prevention and something that has to do with one's sexual health, it's an important construct. And they really felt like they were empowered in terms of their own health, but also they were doing something for their community and that they were less likely to transmit. They, some reported that they were aware of possible risks of antimicrobial resistance, but that would, was not, and wouldn't be in the future, a barrier to their use. Shifting gears now, a new study that hasn't been published yet, but was presented at CROI, a very exciting study called DoxyVac, again, uh, John Michelle Molina was a PI, and it was a factorial design where they were looking at DoxyPep plus minus Bexero vaccine, Bexero being a um, quadrivalent meningococcal vaccine that has uh, proteins from the outer membrane that have very high homology with gonococcus. And they looked at um, Doxy efficacy in terms of, uh, they were designed it to look at chlamydia and syphilis. I'll show you, they also uh, ended up showing efficacy against gonorrhea. And then for Bexero, they looked at first episode of GC. Uh, with the endpoints starting a month after the second dose of the vaccine. So they found about very, very similar point estimates to to what we saw in the doxypep study, about a 90% reduction in time to first chlamydia, about 80% reduction in time to first syphilis infection. They found a 50% or 55% reduction, 51%, sorry, Reduction in time to first gonorrhea, which is different than their prior study, Ypres-Gay. and they also, to their a little bit to their surprise, they found a reduction of about 45 percent uh, or 35 percent in um, glasses uh, in Mycoplasma genitalium. They found similar uh, results as our study uh, in terms of a, a very slight increase in more high-level resistance. Uh, the tetracycline class, and gonorrhea. They tried to culture chlamydia. Chlamydia is very hard to look at resistance unless you can culture it, and very few labs do that. They had four cultures on, and found no resistance, but none of these were for, from people in the doxypep farm It gets to be really hard to ask those questions when you're seeing like a 90% or 80% efficacy. You don't have a lot of endpoints in the doxypep farm They had very similar uh, adherence. Uh, I should have said in my presentation about Pep, it was very similar to this. That the most took the uh, reported that they took the doxypep within 24 hours after sex, and they took a similar number of pills as to what was seen in the Pep study, seven tablets, and had very high tolerability with very low discontinuation. And here are the data that caught a lot of people's attention. There's been lots of ecologic and observational data suggesting that bexero might prevent against gonorrhea from studies from actually almost 20 years ago in cuba then more recently in new zealand studies in the u.s this is the first prospective data that suggests that um the mening the bexero uh, vaccine reduced gonorrhea by 50 percent so this would be great this if validated i think uh, this could Provide a second type of uh, STI prevention tool. The sobering news at Croy was that the, a similar trial was conducted by some of my colleagues in Kenya, uh, presented by Janelle Stewart, uh, and in collaboration with Elizabeth Bakuzi and Jared Baton, and they found a flat result in uh, Kenyan women. They were from Kisumu in western uh, Kenya. All the women were on HIV prep, so they are already. Um, Presenting for some prevention intervention for against HIV. Um, they were not recruited based on whether or not they had an STI in the past year, so maybe that could have impacted adherence, but it was a flat result. There was a suggestion, but it's not statistically significant and you have to be very cautious in over-interpreting data like this, but maybe there was a trend towards an effect with chlamydia. Um, they had plenty of Uh, They had more than they needed in terms of what they had powered the study for for endpoints, so it wasn't an underpowered study. So there's a lot of discussion at CROI about, um, I do a lot of work in Africa in populations where one out of three women has chlamydia, one out of ten has gonorrhea and similar incidence rates. We need STI interventions for women in Africa and other parts of the world. So why did they have such a different result? Some have speculated maybe it's anatomy, maybe that chlamydia has, you know, there's different uh, endocervical uh, columnar epithelium, maybe it's different from uh, rectal. Maybe it's PK levels, but I'll show you next, that that doesn't seem like that's likely. Maybe it's exposures and and or when women used uh, doxypep for regular versus uh, casual partners. They have high levels, almost 100%, tetracycline resistance in gonorrhea in Kisumu, or in Kenya, I should say, Um, but we don't, as I said earlier, we don't think that chlamydia can or certainly hasn't been documented to become resistant, so is that it? They recruited women who were uh, in HIV PrEP programs. It was an open-label design. Could that have influenced their adherence? Um, they tried to provide adherence support with two-way SMS and lipstick containers so that people, women, could take it when they traveled to be have something discreet. They did their best uh, to try to optimize adherence. In my opinion, these are the data that were also presented at CROI from uh, Rich Haland at the uh, CDC that shows, um, basically, they did a, an elegant simple and important study to look at the mucosal concentrations of doxycycline and showed that for plasma, rectal, and cervical secretions, the concentrations achieved were way above what is needed to inhibit chlamydia, um, T-paladin, and gonorrhea in uh, in vitro. And not only are they um, above it, they achieve those levels quickly within Uh, four to six hours. They persist out. And this was using 200 milligrams of doxy, which is what the studies had done. So it's sort of under... I think the conclusions from this is that, you know, maybe in MSM we don't even need 200 milligrams. They are going to do ongoing studies with different dosing patterns. I think for women, if adherence is a factor, they're going to look at two fixed doses within a week. And it provides a model, I think, to now think about... uh, different regimens that might be tested. So where are we? We now have documented benefits in uh, MSM and uh, small numbers of transgender women who are included in these studies. It is an intervention that uh, will work regardless of HIV status. Really high STI incidence. So one of the things that as we think about implementation is you really wanna balance those who would most likely benefit Um, versus achieve what, at this point, are relatively hypothetical concerns about antimicrobial resistance, granted with limited follow-up. We um, prevented each bacterial STI, uh, gonorrhea, chlamydia, and syphilis, in these uh, two most recent studies. We estimated that you would need to treat five people to prevent one uh, quarter with an STI. That's a pretty efficient prevention intervention. It's safe and well-tolerated. It had very... High acceptability, as well as, as best we can tell, high adherence, and it did reduce exposure to ceftriaxone by 50%, which is, we want to preserve ceftriaxone for treatment of GC. What we need to learn more about, and we're fully committed to trying to do this, is to learn more about antimicrobial resistance through studies we're planning now about implementation outside of a clinical trial context. And uh, these data, you know, in my opinion, are important, but shouldn't stop us from moving into implementation. So where are we now with implementation? We are, uh, our paper should be, oops, sorry, our paper should be published within a few weeks. CDC guidance is um, being timed to accompany the publication and I haven't seen it so we'll see what it says. Um, San Francisco um, took the initiative to uh, develop their own guidance and that's available um, through the website and you can reach out to me if you want it but they um, they are being uh, they came out with recommendations in October last I heard they have about 600 doxypep users and I'm hearing more and more about providers who are uh, without CDC guidance are beginning to prescribe but many providers and we did an interviews with providers would feel much more comfortable once CDC guidance is coming so there's been a lot of discussion, and we're trying to be, um, you know, agnostic and listen to the concerns about um, uh, resistance, take them seriously, study them in a prospective way. And in my opinion, this is very similar to what Dr. Uh, Levinson presented about uh, chest and breastfeeding of infants from mothers uh, or uh uh, lactating parents, I guess we should say of uh, infants uh, is it should be shared decision making you know I think that we should probably be doing this through throughout our clinical practice, but we um, have knowns and unknowns, and we 'll come back to that at the moment but first there 's a question we want you to poll and uh, see what how much would you prescribe and i 'm sorry if this is too easy, but uh, uh, I like easy questions, <laughs> so go ahead and um, answer. If you were to um, prescribe it, how would you do it? I should have mentioned the first question is not a totally stupid question because they are in Canada going to look at doxyprep versus doxyPEp, and there was a small study almost uh, fifteen years ago that looked at uh, in 30 persons with the daily dosing, and it was it was effective so. Hey, is the poll going? Do I have to do something to? Do what? Oh, 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 you were listening, thank you. <laughs> uh, yes, although as I wanted you to see that PK data from CDC, you know, the levels were really high for a while and so I think it may end up that We don't need that much, Um, but I'm not sure that we'll have another clinical trial to test 100 milligrams. And this is a question for which I'm curious. I'm not sure we have a right answer yet, but just um, some of them, the choices are easier than others. But would you, um, how would you, so this is not like based on guidelines, but from the evidence you've seen so far, who would you consider prescribing it to Someone said in water. Oh, that should be E. <laughs> oh, finally. Yeah, and I think that's that's a totally valid response. And we'll see what the CDC comes out. There's been discussion about should the uh, eligibility be broadened so that it's not just MSM and trans women as were included in the study, but cisgender men who have um, an S- STI in the past year should it be someone who self perceives himself to be at risk? And I think these are some of the things that um, will get worked out. I think the data suggest, not just suggest, indicate that based on the Kenyan data, that we should not be offering this to uh, cis women. The clinical issues are pretty straightforward, and. You know, I, again, I'm happy if people are already prescribing to share what we did in the study. We did do LFT monitoring at um, at 12 months, found nothing. I think this can be quite simple. The hardest questions are really how much do you give, and I think that depends on someone's sexual activity. I think the more complica- complicated questions are how to offer it, who to offer it to, and this is where I think. Um, language matters and I think Mike said earlier um, offering and informing are pretty weak um, verbs so I think we'll see what the CDC comes out but I think that the real as a clinician really it's your job to try as best one can to have an open conversation and say this is what we know this is what we don't know let and what are your thoughts about it for you and uh, and we have to one of the Areas that we hope, dearly hope, is that we can do this in a through an equity lens. You know, it, it hurts personally. It hurts me every time I see the kind of data that uh, Hyman showed in terms of the racial disparities with HIV prep. We don't want to duplicate this. There are issues with access to care for um, in rural and versus urban and different populations. So we're really going to try in our implementation studies to enroll enough. Um, to have more geographic diversity. Certainly San Francisco and Seattle are not representative of the, of the U.S. So we'll work on that. We're going to also try to um, create um, floors in terms of the diversity and try harder, to, even harder to recruit trans women. So there are a lot of questions like, should we change our screening, STI screening frequency? The I thought right now is probably not, but we will be working with math modelers Will this have a public health impact enough? Will we get enough people on doxypeps who will have a public health impact? And we will also be working with modelers. So stay tuned. Uh, There's a lot of exciting and important work ahead. So last slide, I think, is just to say um, a starting point, I think, I, I tend to like to keep things simple, not to use too many statistics when I talk to people to say that it reduces, it's not 100% effective in uh, eliminating the risk of bacterial STIs, that the studies were done in France, Seattle, San Francisco, and about a two-thirds reduction. And that we were surprised we didn't see more tolerability issues, maybe because they're taking it intermittently rather than daily, but they can't, I think you have to counsel people, especially in uh, places where you actually get sun, as opposed to Seattle, about uh, photosensitivity, really counsel people about drinking water, because pill esophagitis, um, having experienced it, is very uncomfortable, and um, that there are rashes and fixed drug eruptions, but pretty rare. And that the unknowns really have to do with antimicrobial resistance, and I think we will learn a lot more as we have um, larger numbers of um, people on uh, doxypep if it is implemented. So I just want to end with a huge thanks. This was a challenging study. I think we started it in November uh, 20, no, 2019. So within six months, we had to pause for about six months due to COVID. Incredible team, incredible participants who are really motivated, and uh, we thank our funders at NIAID. So thank you very much.
0: rest yourself <laughs> um, really uh, super thank you very much it's it's tough uh, we I worry sometimes about STI talks because they can be by themselves kind of esoteric and often these many different pathogens and but this is really nice it really brings it down to the to the pep uh, uh, arena which I think is in, incredibly important I guess one one question would be you know it it took quite a while from the French uh observation to getting the trial even launched here were we slow in thinking about this or did it just we I, think, weren't?
1: I don't know that it was people were thinking about it it there's always like a, almost inevitably a year or two built yeah, in with a yeah. gap for getting funding, and then we were. Uh, we basically had to start the trial over after COVID. So yeah, we lost course. about a year um, and then, so it was 2020, we were stopped October, 2020 through May, 2022. So in my yeah, yeah. Not, experience, not so it's not bad, but, but it's, I think there was quite a bit concerned. of
0: skepticism. I sensed it with uh, the Molina study, the original one,
1: right? Yeah, yeah, People, every so many people stood up at the mics and were concerned about, Resistance. well, honestly, there still is a lot of, um, I have to say provider, not a lot, but enough that it's bothersome to me about, well, why don't they just use condoms? And I, one yeah. of my bacterial STI friends sent that to me, and I was like, that ship has sailed. You know, yes. Um,
0: you know. Well, in, in the early epidemic, one of our senators from uh, California said, why don't they just stop having sex? Which...
1: That reminds me of a you conversation that, with but... my father.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay, um, Connie
2: so just building on that comment that was actually a, a, a comment from bill gates at a croix symposium or at, at croix the year he was one of the featured uh, opening session people, he said why don't you just use condoms so <laughs> anyway uh... my question actually just it's more out of curiosity than anything but knowing your your past work there I've heard very little talk about herpes virus infections in any of these PEP, PrEP, and uh, STI talks. So what's happening with all of these uh, (laughs) studies and herpes virus infections? That used to be the big scare for STIs before HIV came along. Everybody was... Uh, concerned. Oh my God! I'm going to get herpes instead yeah. of HIV. But it's, it's, now it's, it's okay hardly question. ever mentioned at all.
1: Thank you, Connie, for that question. Um, we are we have banks here, and we will look at herpes sero incidence. Um, that motion of taking a knife out of my heart was that took about ten years to realize it.
0: And just for anyone to remember, uh, what we know about herpes is probably from no, Dr. Kelly. No, a lot of yeah. people.
1: But thank you. Um, we don't have a unfortunately we don't have an effective um, intervention except for antivirals, which in a study done long ago in HSV zero different couples who are both HIV uninfected had a fifty percent reduction. But it's never taken off really in that regard for uninfected persons of a partner with herpes to take it. I herpes remains a real challenge. There are um, People still working on vaccines. It's been a challenging, um, very challenging field, almost as challenging as HIV vaccines. So I think it's still important that epi data continue to accrue, suggesting that herpes increases the risk of HIV acquisition by about two to three-fold. So we shouldn't leave it behind.
0: So um, is that, thank you. Um, Should doxy be included in uh, uh, post-rape treatment kits? Hmm. And this is obviously a big issue, especially in gender-based violence issues in in Africa.
1: I need to think about it. Um, There's probably little downside. We certainly treat with ceftriaxin and other things for um, gonorrhea. Yeah, are you saying, is that your question then? Was this your question? Yeah, I think the reason why azithro is in um, post-rape is because of, you know, for long times uh, we treated chlamydia also with a single dose of azithro, and it was this concern, I think, again, maybe a bit paternalistic, that people wouldn't take um, several days of doxy. There are studies that are starting to see for treatment whether you could get away with three days instead of seven um, but let me mold that one over and um, come it's a back good next question. year. <laughs> um,
0: question about mycoplasma for people that were um, became infected um, with mycoplasma on, daily, on doxypep. Should they be treated? Were they treated?
1: You know, they re- this was retrospective testing. They banked. Um, I, I found out from uh, John Michelle that they had um, a multiplex assay, so they were just doing it and then without, um, they haven't analyzed it based on the proportion who are symptomatic to a small proportion relatively of mycoplasma genitalium is symptomatic. Um, it's a very controversial area right. in right. the field. So I think Has we need forever, to see, right. <laughs> see more data before we can um, know that.
0: Great. Uh, we've had a quite a day. Um, I have some... Uh, uh, Final slides, I want to thank uh, Connie and maybe by extension all of the speakers today uh, for a great job and Elaine for, uh, for uh, co-moderating. So before I show my final slides, thank you.
1: Thank you.